0: Welcome to The Barry Sachs Show. Thanks for joining me on The Barry Sachs Show. I'm Barry Cockroft and I'll be hosting this podcast with guest saxophonists from around the world. We will be exploring the stories behind these great musicians with telling insights into how they got started and the ongoing development of their careers. Thanks for being here on this adventure, and please subscribe for a new episode each week. The details of each episode, including a transcript, the show notes, and any links, can be found at barrysacks.com. Welcome back for Series 2 of The Barry Sachs Show. It's great to be here again, and I've got some wonderful interviews for the podcast coming up over the next few months. I am currently sitting in Costa Rica in the midst of a thunderstorm, which, which is a bit of a change of scenery for me. So it's really good to be here again, and I'm looking forward to the interviews that we have scheduled. Sue McKenzie is a Daddario Woodwinds artist and a Claude Lakey endorsee. She was the assistant director of the 16th World Saxophone Congress in 2012, and as one of Scotland's leading contemporary saxophonists, she has given UK and Scottish premieres of many new works. She's one half of the Mackenzie Sawyers duo, who recently released their first CD, The Coral Sea, with Delphian Records. Sue is also the leader and founder of the Scottish Saxophone Ensemble, who were part of the Made in Scotland Music Showcase in 2013, and the director of the Scottish Saxophone Academy. She regularly performs with the Salsa Celtica and the Glasgow Improvisers Orchestra, and recently performed with her own band, Dark Grooves, at the Edinburgh Jazz and Blues Festival. She was chosen as part of Sirius Music's talent development program, Airtime, in 2014. Sue also plays in Syntonic with bass player Emma Smith and runs Bitches Brew, which promotes female improvising talent. Please welcome my guest today, Scottish saxophonist, composer and improviser, Sue McKenzie. Sue, thanks for joining me this morning.
1: Thanks for asking.
0: And it's great to see you again after quite a few years. Yeah, you too. Um, I think we met perhaps 2009 in Bangkok.
1: Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, Yeah. 2009, yes. And, of course,
0: that that led to the World Saxophone Congress. In
1: 2012. That's right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So it's funny how these connections um, form in the first place, but also we meet it seemingly every three years.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> only every three years.
0: <laughs> yeah, only. Yeah, I, any more than that. Oh, so. no. <laughs> so, so, I would love to know how you first got started with the saxophone.
1: Okay. Um, my dad had a, a small record collection. This is a bit of an embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, and one of the albums that he had that he had on vinyl, obviously, uh, was a double album of the Glenn Miller Big Band. And when you opened this up, there were these incredible photographs inside, of you know the saxophone section, and these were obviously black and white photographs, but they'd been kind of colorized in some way, and I I'm sorry to be so simplistic, but it was the color the color more than anything I was I was fascinated and I remember putting on these records and that sound the the blend of the saxophone section just completely blew me away and and I was that was it. I was hooked obsessed completely uh, and I went to secondary school and uh, they said which instrument would you like to play?" I said, "I oh, really want to play saxophone," and they said, "No, no, 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 no! You can't, you can't do that. Um, y- you have to have flute or clarinet." I said, no, I, d- I don't want to play flute or clarinet. Why? Why would I want to do that? I want to play sax. Uh, so I ended up starting off on flute, which I quite enjoyed, um, but I was not a flute player at all. I was not a flautist. And luckily for me, the guy that was teaching me at school was actually a really great jazz player, a tenor saxophonist, um, kind of quite known in the Glasgow scene, Mickey Deans. And he won, my lesson was a Friday afternoon and he said to me, you know, you really want to play sax, don't you? And I said, I really do. And he essentially sneaked into the school music cupboard, uh, stole a saxophone for me and said, don't tell the head of music take it home for the weekend and see how you get on. Uh, So it was all a bit, you know, subversive. Uh, But, I, yeah, I was just completely
0: hooked. So did you start then with a teacher who was a saxophone specialist? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, he was a jazz player and I don't know that there had been, that he had had much academic training, but he was just, we would just sit and play through tunes. He knew every tune. And we would just sit and busk, essentially. Um, It wasn't particularly formal or structured, but it was just a really great, fun start. And there was no, there was never any boundaries. There was no, oh, you shouldn't be playing that yet. Or you have to do it this way, or you have to do it that way. It was just like, let's just play So that was, it was a, it was a really, it was actually a really great start. It was, it was beautiful. And then the structure and formality came slightly later. Um, I had, I had lessons with a clarinetist who was more kind of classically based. And I, I was, I confession, I was not uh, great at practicing at all. Uh, I, I was, uh, if any of my own students did this now, <laughs> I would be appalled. But I was your typical child student who practiced the night before the lesson. God, um, but something happened just as I was about to finish se- secondary school, and I thought, "Hang on, I actually really want to. I really want to do this now." And if I'm going to do this, then I really need to properly do this uh, and I applied for a place at Royal College of Music in London um, and I I got a place and then it was from then on it was you know proper serious practice
0: from then on. And were you learning with Carl Horsch? Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had a, a year's worth of lessons with Stephen Trier who had taught at Royal College for, for years and years. Um, he was a great character. Um, And then Kyle for the next three years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: So how would you describe the differences uh, between the different teaching styles on your way through?
1: Oh, oh, massive differences. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Um, Actually, now that you've asked the question, I think probably, but I would think by the age of 18 I had seen four or five really different teaching styles good and bad to be honest um great from a musical point of view just for the love of playing for the joy of the music um, to possibly complete disinterest <laughs> um and a, and a lot you know that that. I think we've all had a l le- we've all had lessons like this where you go in and, and it's it's very clear from the off that the teacher is just, you know, I'm I'm watching the clock mm-hmm. and I'm just waiting to get my money at the end of the hour and I'm not really going to put any input into this lesson. Um so you know, there was a bit of that sometimes. And then those life-changing lessons where you meet a teacher for the first time and they play. And it makes you re-evaluate everything that you ever knew about yourself and your playing and what you want to do with your life. Um, I remember having one of those moments, the first time Kyle came into college and he played, I don't know, two or three notes. And it was like, whoa, okay, what is... And, And that was, I think I hadn't really, I was not clear on... I didn't really know much about the classical world. I didn't know much about the repertoire, I knew a little bit. But at that point, it became clear, like, wow, okay, this is really a thing. There's a whole world and history and tradition here, and I want in on it. <laughs> you know, it was just that sound. It was, yeah. It, it, sound has always been a really big thing. Sound it's, It sound hooks me into to things. That's what. That's where my passion has always been. Um That's what keeps me going when 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 the practice gets tough. It's like, but I want to sound like that, you know. Whoever it is at that particular moment in time, and certainly with Kyle, it's like, oh, okay. And and I, when I hear him now, I, I, it still has that effect. It's it's very cool, very cool.
0: You took part in some perhaps masterclasses or. Uh, summer schools or something like that, where mm. you got to see other teachers as well. Yeah did did they, although they're shorter experiences, did they play an important part on your direction?
1: Um, yeah. I, I mean, again, good. Yeah, good and bad. Um, I think I found some of it quite intimidating. Um. I remember doing a masterclass with uh, Daniel Defaye. and I think I was very glad that I, I was, I was you know, I think I was first year at college and I think I, I'm quite glad now in hindsight that I, I don't know that I really comprehended his importance because <laughs> I think I would have been much more scared than I was. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just, it was that very serious French style of teaching. Um, Understandably unforgiving, yeah. You know, um, I think I started the third movement of the Creston, and I don't think I got beyond the third bar. You
0: know? Oh, well done! <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, uh, I think it's just always been really cool to see see how people approach, um, and how they approach teaching, and how they approach the music, and how they then communicate that to a student. Uh, and certainly from I think it's probably informed my own teaching more than my playing to be honest really I've always been very clear about the kind of teacher that I wanted to be Um, what I personally felt worked and what didn't work and what I wanted to bring into my own lessons and what I definitely did not want to bring into my own lessons
0: so in a sense you, you take the good and the bad yeah and then move on from there yeah yeah, so would you absolutely. would you say your teaching ha- has evolved for, away from the way that you learned yourself?
1: I'd, yeah, yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that it's a, a kind of ongoing creative process. Um, I feel a little bit embarrassed when I think back to my, my, you know, my very first, you know, just straight out of college and how I was teaching at I don't know that it was creative enough, really. I think it was probably a little bit, oh, I have to get this, I have to get this right. And I think it was maybe a little bit dry and academic. Um, I I think as you grow older, you learn to connect to people more. Um, and I certainly think there's there's been a lot of development the more I have crossed into different musical worlds, the more I have brought them into my own teaching. So, for example, if I have a classical student, I will use elements of things that I've learned from my work in the free improvisation world. Um, and I'm quite keen to, to kind of do that those crossovers. I think it's really useful.
0: Uh, I've been trying to work out where your interest in improvisation and, <laughs> and use the word creativity. Uh, they're not words... I've actually heard before when people are talking about teaching okay they're, yeah they're often neglected yeah um, and I was just thinking back to when you first got started yeah and you had you were describing it as a, 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 a some freedom in your lessons and I, yeah I wonder how much impact that had
1: yeah I, I think there was a big change I think it started in one way mm. and then it got very serious and possibly a bit dry. Mm. And I, I've kind of tried to, to I guess I'm trying to always mix the two. Really, um, I and I also guess I think of each lesson. Every student that comes in the door is going to be different, and and obviously there are things that you have to get through. There's a program of work that you that you need to get through, for whatever reason. It may be exams, it may be auditions, what you know, whatever. I guess each lesson is like an improvisation from, from minute to minute. You don't know. Your student may not be in the mood that they were in last week. Um, they could have all sorts of things going on. They may be struggling with something musically or personally or, or something at school. You may not be in the same headspace. You may not be in the ideal headspace that you would prefer to be in. And and you have to kind of go with the flow of that and, and find a way through and some lessons are really easy and they just work but but we all know that there are some that, that don't. You know? <laughs> um, so it's just, yeah, I guess finding ways to try and make each lesson a really valuable experience.
0: I start every practice session with improvising because I find it to be, I mean, I spend most of my time improvising. Okay. And particularly practicing. Yeah. And I find it To be quite liberating, and it very very much focuses me. Yeah, because I'm not reading, I'm not playing from memory. Okay, I'm actually entirely focused on whatever comes out the end of my saxophone. Yeah, Yeah. and I find that a great grounding. Yeah, and I I think it's a process, an invaluable process. Yeah, and and I've always done that, and I wish I guess that that kids when they're learning had a bit more of that because. It, if there's too much of the rigorous training yeah. and not enough of the creative training, it starts to fade away. Yeah, absolutely. And the potential yeah. to then to, to release it may be yeah. gone. It doesn't yeah. come back. And yeah. a lot of people I talk to, of course, said no, they don't really improvise.
1: I find that quite depressing that that is still quite a thing, isn't it, really? Um, and actually, especially in kits. I think it's really interesting. I do quite a lot of... Um, I obviously do one-to-one saxophone teaching uh, and I do ensemble coaching um, and I teach the classical repertoire and I teach improvisation but I also go out um, into rural schools in Scotland and I teach uh, jazz improvisation and composition and I can sometimes be teaching uh, a primary one class which is five years old. Um, And there's a really sort of golden age uh, nursery, kindergarten to, I would say, uh, even up to primary six, primary seven, sort of nine, 10, 11. And they are just natural improvisers. It's incredible. I've I've heard kids who can't play an instrument necessarily, um, but we use tuned and untuned percussion. And they come up with this incredible, incredible stuff just amazing. There's something especially that I think happens when people get into their teens that that a lot of kids get much more reluctant to take risks and stand out from the crowd and do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable um, which is a great shame so it's, it's just finding ways to for them to get a foot in That's that's going to be easy and, and make it non-threatening and not scary and fun. Um, and it's possible to do that. And that it's, you know, it's it's really cool when there's that turnaround where you get to the, the end of a lesson where, at, you know, the beginning of the lesson, the kid was saying, oh, I don't want to improvise. No, 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 I don't want to improvise. And by the end, it's like, we just spent half an hour improvising. And they were like, oh, yeah, wow, okay. It's <laughs> very cool.
0: Now, how would you describe your your own practice now that you're um, busy. Huh. <laughs> how do you describe that, especially in relationship to how you used to practice as okay. a student when there's a lot more time and we put in perhaps yeah. more hours? Yeah. So what do you do, you know, um, to it, playing?
1: it is chaos. <laughs> 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 and I think back to my student self and I feel really, yeah, it's, it's quite hard thinking back. Um, because it was so structured and there was so much time, and I look at my own students and I feel quite jealous. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's a at the moment, it's too chaotic. Um, and I find that it tends to be project to project based and I, I don't i don't know if you find this so you know i can have something coming up and it's like okay there's a, a a kind of big push on this project and as soon as that project is done it's like what's the next project right okay now we do a big push for the next project and i guess it it was a little bit like that as a student but it just felt like there was much more time there was there was much more consistency and I, I really miss that. I'm someone that likes consistency. Um, so much so that actually it's an interesting question because um, at the end of the summer, um, I'm going to give up a couple of teaching jobs um, because I really just want a little bit more consistency in life. Uh, that I, I like challenges and I like things. I like to have lots of different things on the go all at once. But there becomes a very kind of uh, fine line as to when that becomes a little bit silly and it's not manageable anymore. Sure. Um, so I would, re- yeah, I, I just want a little bit more time. I've started writing music as well. So I want a bit more time to explore that. Um, I also uh, became a, a mum about a year and a half ago. Um, I inherited the most incredible five year old daughter. Mm-hmm. So that's had that has put a really different perspective on things. Uh it's like, ah, okay, there's certain things in life now that I, I maybe wasn't enjoying so much but I was doing anyway because it seemed like the right thing to do at the time and now I guess priorities are different. Um, and it's like, ah, okay, yeah, I'm now this age, now there's Emily, life is much more complicated uh, I think uh, I'm just feeling like I'm at a time where I have to kind of pare down in a way and really focus on what is important, and also life is too short.
0: Sure, <laughs> I mean one of the the advantages of busyness and family life and all of those things is it forces your music making and practice to be efficient. Yes, and absolutely. You have to yeah. find the best possible way to achieve absolutely. whatever you're trying to work on. Yeah, whether that's finding the time or that the time is then used to the absolute maximum efficiency.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: Which is a good yeah, challenge.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a bad
0: thing. I I can't help <laughs> think sometimes that students um I don't want to say that it's wasted, but in in my my view, I often call practice a waste of time. Yeah. Because actually people are wasting their yes, time because completely. they're not being efficient. Yeah. Instead of throwing thought thoughtfulness at a problem they throw time at a problem yeah and they solve it in the end but at great expense which is a lot of fun yeah and we don't have the luxury of those sorts of hours so yeah, we have to focus yeah and I think it would be wonderful if we could somehow pass that to the students yeah before they start wasting time yeah and imagine if they were really efficient and they practiced a lot. Yeah, I mean, they would accelerate yeah. their learning.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Efficient practice. Um, I've often thought that actually a lot of teaching is, is, not, is teaching people how to practice. How do you actually practice well? Um, and I don't know that I really started to learn that until I left Royal College of Music. I think it's quite a luxury to have a weekly lesson with someone guiding you in a way. And then when I finished college, I I remember quite distinctly having a moment. where I was like, "Oh, what? Oh, okay. What? What do I do now? How do I? How do I structure my 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 practice? What What are my goals? What am I working towards next? And I remember think oh i actually have to think about this now i have to not that i didn't before but it was it was a it was a it just felt very different to being at college um yeah very
0: different would you describe your career as something that was very planned <laughs> <laughs> i know your answer already <laughs> or was it something organic that developed from moment to moment yeah completely organic <laughs>
1: Which probably fits me quite well, really. Um yeah, i uh I had I wish I was someone that had had a a, a plan. Um I look at other people and, and I, I'm full of admiration for them. Uh but I yeah, I did not have a plan. I... I, I when I started at Royal College I loved the instrument and I loved the repertoire. Funnily enough, I started at college and I I had the only definite idea that I had when I started Royal College of Music was that I didn't want to play any of that modern nonsense. (laughs) And then I got to the end of college and I thought, oh, actually, this is not so bad. And certainly from a business point of view, I suddenly realised, oh, people are willing to pay me money to play this stuff. Okay, maybe I need to have a rethink. Um and yeah i I guess i I developed a love for more contemporary repertoire, uh so that kind of led me in one direction being in scot there's not a huge classical saxophone scene in Scotland, so I also had to think on my feet and go, Oh, okay, I can actually just do this this is not it's not gonna pay the bills. It's not gonna get me week to week or month to months' work in Scotland." Um, and I guess that's and I had always had a bit of an interest in improvisation and jazz and I, I, you know some of my first jobs were were more well I guess I got quite into world music I'd done a lot of work with a, um, a great Scottish-based band called Salsa Celtica which is a kind of 13-piece uh Musicians from Scotland, Ireland, Cuba, Venezuela, Argentina, um, and they do a lot of international touring, and that that has been really great. Uh, and certainly, uh, I'm happy in in that world. Uh, anything sort of salsa based, Afrobeat, uh, that's always really. I've been really happy there, um, and then. I started to get into free improvisation and uh, there's a great band in Glasgow called the Glasgow Improvisers Orchestra who work with some incredible people and i've I've had the chance to work with just fantastic musicians incredible um, and they're very active. They meet once a month and there's a big festival every year um, so that's kind of so it's always been this balancing act of quite vastly differing <laughs> Musical hats, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Do you think each one of those hats enhances the other one?
1: I I, I, I originally did not, uh, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now I uh, I met um, one of my saxophone heroes, uh, David Murray from the World Saxophone Quartet. I did a gig in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Jazz Festival years and years ago, and I. I had never seen them live and I had my tickets and the night before their concert I was sitting in a a bar and someone came and sat down next to me and I, I sneaked a look out the corner of my eye and I thought that looks like David Murray and we got chatting and it was David Murray and he was really lovely. And we actually at that point I wasn't doing any imp- I I really hadn't I'd done a bit I'd done quite a lot of big bands playing but not necessarily improvising, and I remember quite distinctly saying to him, uh, "Oh no 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 I, I'm a, a classical player I I don't improvise." He said, "Oh yeah man that's that's great yeah the um, oh yeah I love the Glazunov, um, yeah and I I practice the Eber sometimes as well." And I was like, "Whoa that's very cool," uh, and I. That, that started um, a, a, quite a kind of in, interesting relationship when I went, we had quite a lot of really great musical chats. And you know that way when you, all you have to do is talk to someone and it can change things in your head. Um, there was quite, I would say the jazz scene in Scotland is quite, um, it's quite a closed Scene, it's quite mainstream jazz, and if you're a lot of a lot of the guys in Scotland have all been to Berkeley, um, this is a very particular style of playing, and if you don't play in that style, I always felt which I didn't, I always felt a little bit kind of like, where do I fit in all of this? And I remember David Murray saying to me, "You don't have to fit, Sue. Why do you want to fit? Why why do you want to sound? Why would you want to sound like all of them?" I was like oh yeah, he said you want to sound like you and we did we started doing quite a lot of playing and I think actually just someone else saying this is, this is you've got your own voice um, and I remember letting him hear some of the stuff that I was working on and I said, yeah, I, could, I I was I'd been working on actually the the some of the Noda improvisations, and I guess I had taken bits of those, and I was sort of developing those ideas. I said, yeah, I can hear some of this, and I can hear some back, but I can hear bits of that. So this is all making up your own voice. He said, this is what you you need to focus on this, um, and he used a great phrase, uh, particularly because I think I'm I'm very you know conceptually sound based and classically i want to make the most of the time i want to make the most beautiful purest sound that i can and i spent years and years trying to perfect that and i think i just got to the stage where it's like i want to find the cracks now how much can i mess up this sound you know how how disgusting can i make it how much can i manipulate it and I, I, I guess those are the things that the, the, the little kind of little little ear worms in my head that that just wouldn't go away, you know, the little obsessions. Um, and I remember him, David Murray, saying, uh, you've, you've got to let the animals out of the horn." I thought that's such a great that's a great saying, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I I went to Portugal and studied, spent a week with him playing, and that was a real turning point where I realised actually it's not one or the other, it's just playing, and all of these things that have influenced me are, I just play, and that's it, and that, yeah, so from that moment on, it was like, actually, all of this can feed into, you know, the classical can feed into the improvisation, the improvisation can feed into my straight classical playing, all of that can feed into my teaching, uh, yeah, that, that was quite a cool moment.
0: Is the Scottish saxophone ensemble something that you created to further classical saxophone in Scotland? I
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess I, I, I don't know that my thoughts were as grand as that. I just I just really wanted to do some quartet playing. Okay. Um, and I yeah, yeah I guess I I wanted, I wanted to be doing gigs and I wanted to, to get that repertoire across to people. And I wanted to create new repertoire and I I wanted to do interesting projects um, and I wanted that to be quartet based. Um, I also wanted to do quartet based things, but also bring in other players, percussion or bass, you know, and just do interesting one off projects um, and transcriptions of, of things. And yeah, I really wanted to get that out in Scotland. Yeah. But also just, you know, it's just a joy to play in a quartet.
0: Scotland's interesting because although seemingly it's a small country when you look on a map, yeah, the habitant, inhabitants are spread very widely. Absolutely. in there's some very remote places. Yeah. Is it possible to get music out to the islands and to in into the in the north? And,
1: absolutely, yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Do you
0: find that the audience is therefore... Uh, um, very appreciative.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, we have played, or you know, I've I've been to the islands, you know, various islands quite a lot, and with with lots of different groups and groups and styles of music that you would think would not work in those particular communities. It, you tend to find that they're they tend to be a bit more adventurous in their listening. To be honest, they tend to be a bit more open. Whereas in cities, like, I think there's, because there's so much goes on, people get a little bit blazy Whereas, you know, if you're going to an island where they, they haven't had anyone visiting for the last three months, then it, even if it's something that then they might not be into, they'll turn up because, you know, it's, it's an event, um, which is really lovely. And actually some of the nicest gigs I have ever done have been on some of the Scottish the, the um although it's not a particularly small island but uh, Mull the Isle of Mull is fantastic there's it, it's always it's a joy to play there's a really nice little art center they have a musical director who's so passionate um and in terms of what he books is really adventurous uh so I've done yeah I've done some great you know I've been there with Salsa Celtica um which is a very, you know, that's a very, that, that band will always pull a crowd. But I've also been there with my own duo with uh, Ingrid Soares on piano. I've also been there with the Scottish Sax Ensemble. And I've also been there with the Glasgow Improvisers Orchestra. So there's a real, there's a real mix of, of stuff going on. Yeah.
0: I imagine they're like, I'm sure you sounded different last time <laughs> you came here. <laughs> but you've got a diverse range of groups. So yeah. they're going to ha- yeah, hear, yeah, hear, hear yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> that must be satisfying to be able to, to present the different aspects that you're interested in yourself yeah. and to have um, the, 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 essentially the same audience yeah, getting absolutely to, yeah. exposed to those different aspects.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I do have a, a question about your composing because not that many people compose mm. um, who play. And okay. it sounds like something that you've come to later, as a. Definitely. So, yeah. do you know what sparked that?
1: Lots of people telling me that I should be doing, it. <laughs> and for years I resisted. I like, no, 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 no. Um, that's for that's for other people. That's for people who are composers and uh, people who know about all of those things. Um, I guess it it also largely came about, particularly improvisation wise. I hesitate to say jazz because I don't think of myself as a jazz musician, but finding music that I wanted to play that was that was that that seemed to fit me was becoming more and more difficult. It's like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. And you know, this is not right for me. So what? What is? And I guess it's it goes hand in hand with that. You know, finding your own voice. And for me, that that has also become very much about okay, if I if I'm going to put a band together, which is going to be more jazz based, possibly if we want to use that word, what am I going to play, and what are those tunes going to sound like? And actually, for me to do this, I I want it to be really authentic to me, and I, and and I think actually that that is a bit of a recurring theme. Uh, certainly, in in choosing repertoire for the quartet and for the duo with piano, um, there's always been repertoire that I thought, "Oh, that's a great piece," and I I I want to play it, but it's not really right for us as a group, or it's it just doesn't. There's something about identity, and I can't quite put my finger on what that is. But I've, I've always been quite particular about, is, is this really me or not? Um, so I guess it goes hand in hand with that, really. But yes, I have come
0: very late to it. <laughs> I guess composition is forever. Yeah. Improvisation <laughs> is for the now. Yeah. yeah. And to say, to freeze yourself in time like that um, actually can be challenging. And yeah. I see plenty of composers wanting to change their past compositions. Yeah. Because their their aesthetic has changed. Yeah. And I always say to them, No, no, that composition represents you at, at that period of time. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. Don't don't fiddle. No. <laughs> it's finished. It's fine. <laughs> it's done.
1: Leave <laughs> run, it alone. Write something else. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and yeah. Not everyone, of course, does that. Um, but I love signing off on a piece. Right. I'm like done. Yeah. yeah. And I sometimes I play a piece years later and I'm like, hmm. Probably wouldn't do it that way now. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, that's me. It's kind of like looking back at old photos where oh, I I was so young, (laughs) and you look at music in the same way. You know, Uh, oh, I used to write like that. Yeah. Uh, I've still to get to that point
1: (laughs) in terms of writing. (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah. It's very early days, Um, but it's exciting. Mm, It's really exciting.
0: I actually started composing almost at the same time as playing really? very early. Wow. And I I improvised okay. as always in my practice. Yeah. I really started young with that just yeah. in a classical sense more yeah. than anything. Yeah, yeah, Not I played in big bands and things but I and took solos, but it was more about in the practice room yeah. improvising in the style of pieces I was studying nice. in order to understand – that particular style or aesthetic of the piece okay. and so i'd improvise around a piece and particularly if there were some bars i couldn't play i would just make up something else okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's got me through a lot of scrapes <laughs> but quite soon then i just thought, well I'll write write down this uh melody or okay. whatever it is or rhythm that i came up with yeah and uh, it's really started a long time ago and I'm i'm glad I mean, I've got a piece that I wrote when I was probably 18 and no one really plays it. A few people play it, but no one really plays it. Which one? <laughs> I don't know if I want anyone to oh. play it. No, it's called Reflections and it's a melodic yeah. piece with piano and yeah. um, everyone, every composer writes a piece called Reflections. Um, <laughs> and this piece has no connection, as far as I can see, with any of the music that I've written since so it stands on its okay. own and it doesn't really represent if someone heard that they wouldn't probably pick it okay. as one of my pieces yeah. Yeah. and I've always been a bit Ooh, maybe it should disappear right okay. but then I'm like oh well we'll just leave it there and yeah if people don't want to play it that's fine I yeah. just leave it yeah <laughs> they don't have to <laughs> so yeah I guess I made the decision to whatever gets created it stays there yeah and and there's some good stories of composers withdrawing works and yeah, destroying their okay. manuscripts and yeah. fortunately in the digital world or well unfortunately yeah. <laughs> everything lasts forever now.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> now you're ready for a few uh, rapid fire questions. Ooh,
1: okay. Right.
0: Take a, a quick drink. <laughs> Is there something that you believe that few people agree with?
1: I don't know that it's I, I wouldn't say that people that people disagree with. I think it's more I have a bit of a thing um there's there are so many great players out there so many great players and you know you hear people in practice rooms and you know working away on technique working away on tone which we you know we should all be doing what i don't hear so much is is people finding their own voice and find, and, and and their personality um so I don't think it's so much that people would disagree with that. I think it's just a, 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 a bit overlooked. Especially in the classical world. You know, you could go to a congress and hear ten players and not remember any of them. You'll remember that they were all fantastic and that, that the technique was incredible. But I don't come away with a sense of... Who was that person? What, what did they give to that performance? What was their personality? Who who were they? And it's not that there has been anything wrong with the playing; it's incredible. But it, it, there's there's just just missing that something, you know. Um, and I don't know if that's an age related thing, if that we generally tend to find that as we get older, or. If if it's I don't know if it's maybe something that, that doesn't come up in discussions a lot in lessons I I don't know um, but that that's one thing that sometimes is is missing for me
0: yeah I have noticed that the people who I think what you are describing that from my point of view the people who have found a voice yeah. for themselves yeah I think they have an an approach to music that is they're very determined to do whatever they want. Yeah. That's their choice. Yeah. And they're not trying to play in the same way as other people. They're yeah. saying, this is how yeah. I play, this is true. how I sound, yeah. this is the music I play, this yeah. is how I do it. Yeah. And not everyone gets to, to that decision. It no. just sort of No, no. Like you said, it's overlooked. Yeah. And my favourite yeah. players are the people who have found an interesting voice. Yeah. And it may be not the way that i would like to play it may be not the music i would like to play but i appreciate it anyway absolutely because it really suits the way that they operate
1: yeah yeah absolutely sorry that wasn't very rapid fire was it Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) if you just had one piece of music that you could play forever what piece would that be
1: oh that's a cruel question (laughs) oh Oh this is horrible. this is like asking someone to choose their children which is your favorite child oh man um i yeah i i can't answer i i just can't because if i'm if i'm doing contemporary repertoire then in that moment of time And I'm like, oh, this is this is it. This is it. And then if I'm on a salsa gig, I'm like, this is it. And then if I'm doing some free improvisation again, this is it. So, yeah, I can't answer. I'm sorry, fail. uh, You you have an (laughs)
0: advantage if you were stuck on a desert island. Um, You can make your own piece. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you would choose to improvise. See? (laughs) If you just had one hour to practice.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: How would you spend that hour?
1: I'd split it up into two. And the first half hour would be something tone-based. There are things that I do that I experiment with finding a certain tone colour. And it could be manipulating the sound in a particular way. Um, And it becomes quite a kind of meditative sort of thing. And just exploring your way um it, it's like oh okay i've I've got this sound there's something there's something just over the horizon of this sound that I want to get to, and how do I, and and then you kind of get there and as soon as you think that you've got there, it's like oh there's something just slightly over here that I want to get to and it's yeah i can I can get quite caught up in that, and I guess the second half word would be a, a similar idea but but more more technically based um it's a kind of free improv thing where I'll kind of, you know, I'm going to minimize what my choices are, and and within this ratio of of small notes, how how much can I do with that? Um, and it's again, it's kind of like finding the cracks in between the cracks, in between the cracks, in between the cracks. You know, so how how what what can I do with this? Um, yeah, that's what I would do. Although to be fair, and I, if if I'm allowed five minutes to stretch in the first place, well, actually, <laughs> yeah. that, that's also
0: <laughs> an important question. Yeah. Um, how do you look after yourself as a player, oh. and do you have any any things that you've discovered that may help for you to be able to play throughout uh, your life?
1: Well, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I have a, a a range of challenges there. I had an accident about 10, 12 years ago. A ridiculously small accident. Um, I was walking back to my car one night and I felt myself trip. And the voice in my head, as I was tripping, and it was a minor trip, the voice in my head said, oh my God, you have to save your hands. You have to save your hands. And I did save my hands and I landed on Cronky right on my face. Um, and... That just that one tiny thing has so, you know, we're a few years on now. Um, That has that 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 was quite that's made life quite tricky Uh, uh, for a lot of it. I have to be really careful with your Um, ambition. Yeah, there was there was there was various bits of damage done round about here, and there was kind of emergency hospital visits. I was very, very lucky that a friend of mine, a saxophone playing friend of mine, who is also a dentist, happened to be in the next street and I managed to, to you know, scrape myself off the concrete and I thought, oh, this is not good. And I phoned her and she said, I'm going to be there in two seconds. She got me to the emergency department um, and I eventually ended up seeing an incredible specialist who deals with with kind of just the jaw area. Um, there was quite a lot of damage um, and it was all fixed you know, it was fixable but I think it left me with quite a lot of I don't know if there was maybe some whiplash damage done it it basically left me with a lot of jaw problems um, neck pain uh, upper, roof of the mouth a lot of pain, kind of nerve damage uh, a lot of uh, balance issues migraine um, and there was a point for I thought about two and a half years that I I remember quite distinctly I was in Germany doing a gig and playing had been had had got more and more painful and I remember coming off in the interval and just being in so much pain and thinking I don't know if I can do this anymore and I think I probably didn't play for another two and a half, three years um, so now I kind of got back into it and and again my my playing my sound is not what it was. It's it, it's different, you know. Um I don't necessarily have the stamina that I had and I think that's possibly why I've again that that has has it slightly pushed me more to, towards improvisation. Um it's j it, it, it's just it it it's just a little bit easier physically to do and I do have to be really careful, you know, so stretching physio um I have, to, I have to be really careful that I, I don't get migraines um also yeah it's it's a bit of a challenge you
0: no know, <laughs> um the the the, the, thing, the steps that you're describing to help uh do you think people should be for example Looking after themselves oh, with physio and yeah. things, anyway, even if they perhaps don't have an acute. Oh yeah, problem. absolutely,
1: yes, absolutely. Because we're not, we're just not designed to, to you know, whatever instrument you're playing, whether it's saxophone, drums, piano, whatever, violin. We're we're not the amount of hours that we spend in in very unnatural positions, and it doesn't matter. You know, even my my posture's pretty good, and uh, occasionally. <laughs> But we're, our bodies are not really designed to do that and I think to think that you can keep on doing that for hours and hours every day for for you know decades and not have any problems is, is slightly foolish and to also be able to I now think of it as um, you know I don't have the body of an athlete but I, I think of Playing now as as uh, it's it's a little bit like being an athlete. An athlete wouldn't go and run a race without warming up. There, there's no way, and I mean I can do it obviously, but uh, but I know feel well if I don't stretch if I don't warm up then I'm gonna feel it the next day, you know.
0: Who do you consider to be one of the most successful contributors to the saxophone?
1: Oh, that's a really difficult one. I've been thinking about that one all morning. That's that's a horrible question that there's just how can you. Yeah, I I can't I can't pinpoint one person.
0: What about in a a personal way um, for you?
1: Um, For me? Yeah, David Murray was was a really big um, just because it was so different and so. Wacky, and so you know. Okay, well, what, what genre do we put that in? I have no idea. It you sounds know?
0: like the meeting was very pivotal. Yeah, and absolutely. Perhaps yeah. that's the. Yeah, if if something's powerful enough to change the course of your life, yeah. no matter how short yeah. or long it absolutely. is, absolutely, yeah. it, it it must be yeah. significant. Yeah,
1: completely. Yeah, I I I before that, um, I'd see Cannonball Adley. Uh, that was sound. That that sound just was everything. Um, I think Kyle was a really big, yeah. And then, you know, I remember quite distinctly hearing Claude for the first time. That was like, okay, wow. This, yeah, yeah. And now, uh, John Sermon. Really, yeah, massive John Sermon fan. Um, there's a beautiful, yeah, it's a beautiful sound, but there, there's also the shape of the lines and the way that he approaches his improvisations. There's something that, that just really, even that way when you hear something in your head and it's like, that's what I hear in my head. That's, that's that thing, you know? Yeah.
0: If we learn from our mistakes... Hmm. Is it okay to make them?
1: Yeah, I think so I think you have
0: to And are you good with therefore coping with those mistakes You know, in, in performance?
1: Um, I guess if you do a lot of improvisation That becomes quite a different thing really, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> I'm surprised more people don't improvise yeah. <laughs> Sign up here if you don't want any mistakes Yeah, well,
1: there you go
0: <laughs> I saw someone play today um, uh, Very seemingly confidently yeah and i went and said hello afterwards yeah and she said she was suffering enormously from anxiety yeah and and i was quite surprised yeah and sometimes the those sorts of thoughts um, don't manifest externally they're controlled or managed in some way Um, do you think the the sort of ongoing mental health of playing Mm -hmm. and, and being able to cope with one, perhaps if you aren't playing the way that you would really like to, yeah. or that if you yeah. get an adverse reaction to what you play. yeah, Do you think there's strategies that can help us um, stay healthy in terms of thinking about those things?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to find them, I think, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. really. Yeah. Um, I think certainly... I don't know that I was, I wouldn't have described myself as massively confident. Um, I think when I started off playing, I remember being really young and not, and just enjoying the musical moment. And then I think there was something that happened probably around about college where it became, oh, this is really serious now and it matters it matters to me, it matters to me what my teacher thinks it matters in terms of getting my degree, it matters that I pass these exams and I think it took on a very different you know, my perception of it changed a lot and not necessarily for the better um, but it was manageable I think when I had that accident I think that's been a real challenge to get back into things Um so there are often times now where I physically don't feel fantastic. And that, that certainly puts a different spin on it. Um and that that can be quite a kind of a, a big mental challenge to get to get through. Uh, but, but you do. I don't, no, I think it's an ongoing battle to be honest. And what I have found is there are times where performing feels beautiful and easy and there's a flow and it's a wonderful thing and there are other times where it just doesn't feel like that (laughs) it's just and you think oh you know it'll settle down and by the end of the gig it will feel different and it and it maybe doesn't it maybe does but it maybe doesn't the interesting thing that I've also found is when I listen back to recordings you uh, one might think well the gig that felt great and and was really natural, that, that'll that probably be the one that sounds good and the one that felt really horrible and difficult probably isn't going to sound as good. And I have not found that. I've, I've very often found the, the two to be completely opposite. You know, the gig that felt difficult and awkward and that never really felt as though it settled inside, you know, physically or mentally, when you listen back can quite often be the ones that were, oh, wow, okay. That's actually okay. There was some really interesting stuff there.
0: Wow, that's very it's, interesting. Yeah,
1: it's very interesting, isn't it? Hmm. So I think there's also, I guess, what I'm trying to work on just now is accepting when it doesn't feel good and when it doesn't feel comfortable.
0: Is there something that you do right before performance to help you to play at your best?
1: Oh, I wish I should have a good. I wish I had a really great answer. Um, lucky pants. I don't. Know. <laughs> lucky pants. <laughs> Um I guess stretching. I, I yeah. And and trying to just center. Yeah. It's just trying to calm everything. Um I think when when you're kind of battling with pain an awful lot of the time that the, the there's that pain and tension go hand in hand and you have to be really careful. Um so centering as much as you possibly can if that's possible and sometimes it's not possible Uh, and yeah just stretching and making sure that you physically feel up to it and if that doesn't work then a double espresso I'm sorry to say
0: (laughs) now looking back could you give yourself a piece of advice that you would have liked to have heard when you were starting out
1: yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) just Don't be so worried about what people think. All the things that you wanted to do but hesitated to do, you should have just done them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What are some of the changes you've seen in the saxophone world and what are some of the things that haven't changed?
1: I think in terms of being here.
0: Uh, The World Saxophone Congress. Yeah, the
1: World Saxophone Congress. I think there's a beautiful thing happening. I think there's a real... Maintaining the 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 tradition, which is great, and that should absolutely be there always, because I think it's you know we have to look after it. It's really it's a precious thing that we have to look after. But there's also a beautiful thing happening now where that it feels to me, certainly from my experience, that over the last few years, the whole scene here in in Saxe Congresses has become much more open. Um, there's much more space for somebody that maybe plays a slightly different style of music or plays with a slightly different voice or has maybe p- put together a slightly quirky project and I love that i think I think that's great.
0: I have a sneaking suspicion that that started to develop at St Andrews, yeah. Partly because yeah. of the way that you structured it in that it was very open to having tradition yeah, and, yeah. and new things yeah. alongside each other or yeah. mixed together. How did you actually become involved? Because you were an uh, assistant artistic yeah. director. yeah, yeah. How did you get roped in let's say um,
1: well at that time Richard was in the Scottish Saxophone Ensemble so we were all playing in, in Bangkok and um, he had this crazy idea and I was like really St Andrews would people come to St Andrews I mean I know it's it's beautiful it's really pretty but you know it's a long way to come and then I thought you know why not um, and he uh, he had already had quite a lot of the kind of groundwork ideas and uh, and I think in Bangkok, it, it just became it the all the ideas became much more solidified, um, and I, I I'm sorry to see, but there the, there was a swimming pool and there was cocktails, and there was mention of you know so you should be an assistant director, and I went yeah yeah that's what, oh another cocktail don't mind if I do, um and because I I I had no idea if if we would win the vote or not. Um, And it was a very bizarre situation. It was incredible that that all these people wanted to come to Scotland. And I found myself on the plane home going, OK, we need to organise a World Tax One Congress now, right? OK. Steep learning curve, yeah, yeah. Incredible.
0: Do you look back at it funnily, the years of organising?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah i wouldn't do it again (laughs) or would i i don't know i'm I'm very fond of the
0: once in a lifetime experience (laughs) yeah
1: absolutely (laughs) no i absolutely yeah it was it was an incredible experience incredible to have all of these people in the one place at the one time and you know I think if you're organising any event there are little bits that don't you know, they don't work the way that you wanted them to work but I think by and large it was a special week and we did make a definite decision to you know, we have to protect the tradition but we really want you know, I remember, oh lordy days and days and days of listening to everybody's applications you know, days maybe, I don't know how long did it take two weeks to get through it all and having meeting after meeting after meeting and trying to present a program that was as varied as possible and to include as many different things as we possibly could um and that was that yeah that was a definite artistic decision to, to do that um and that was really cool that was really cool to have that opportunity to to, to be able to do that so yeah a very, huge fond memories um, yeah
0: now have you got a recent project that you would like to tell us about
1: uh, yes Um. well there's a, which one do I pick um, I just had a new album that came out in February is that still new enough ish new ish um, it was released in February. Uh, it's the mackenzie Soares duo uh, with Ingrid Soares on piano. And it's on uh, a really lovely record label, Delphian Records, who are based in Scotland, um, but are, are yeah pretty up there now in terms of classical labels. Uh, I think it was, was it last year they won gramophone Record label of the year, um, and they do some. They put out some great stuff, uh, and it's just a really lovely experience to be with that record label. Um, and he's huge at Paul Baxter, the the producer. uh used to be a sax player, so he's he's massively supportive uh, in terms of wanting to get repertoire out there. Um, so there's it's mainly uh, British and Scottish contemporary works. Uh, Sally Beamish, James McMillan, Judith Weir, uh, there's some Michael Nyman. Um, yeah, there's some there's some really nice music on there.
0: Uh, I was going to say, because um, you're mentioning Scottish composers. Mm. How important has it been to you to work with Scottish composers?
1: Y- yeah, hugely, hugely important. Yeah. Um, In fact, uh, I'm i having a really um, Interesting, and actually, yeah, probably another one of these life-changing moments. Um, working uh, with a, a composer, John Harris, who's uh, who runs a great ensemble in Scotland. They work, they work um, internationally, though uh, the Red Note Ensemble. Um, and he's a composer, and he, I commissioned him to write a piece for me, um, but I wanted it to be. I just wanted to have a different approach Um, and we we had a lot of meetings and discussions about what what, what would this piece be, how would it sound, how are we going to approach it Um, and essentially for the last year um, I have been writing down everything, every thought that comes into my head in a notebook. Uh, completely uncensored, so I have to trust this guy completely, uh, and it's it's become uh, it, we've come to to call this notebook the book of weather, book of weather, and and John John will phone every now and again. Yeah, how's, how's the book going? How, what's the weather like, Sue? <laughs> you know, it's, oh, it's, it's great, really sunny, lovely. Or oh, a bit stormy the last week, stormy. Um, and from this book we've started to create a piece um, and it will be for alto and soprano uh, effects he's creating a a, a kind of backing track uh, which is using uh, snippets of the book um, and it may be using them in musical form or it may be recordings of me saying bits of the book uh, and manipulating them. Uh, So there's a beautiful kind of layering of it all being very, very particular to me. Uh, And him recording bits of me improvising and using them in the backing track. So I'm improvising with me improvising. So there's just all these kind of various layers going on. Uh, And that's been... I'd say that the the piece that I've been most involved with in terms of uh, the devising of the piece, I guess. And that's felt really special. Really special. Rather than this, can you can you write me a piece? Yeah, here we go. 3 months later. There you go. Off oh, you go and play your the the piece that I've written for you. Um this feels very I don't know, just uh, more authentic, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess as I get older and time gets shorter and life gets busier things need to matter now more uh, you know there, there, there may be gigs that I, five years ago I would have taken on like yeah okay I'll do that gig and now it's like do I do I really want to do that gig no I, I don't if I'm going to do this it has to really mean something and it, it has. I have to be really into it now um which is a little bit selfish But there we go
0: <laughs> Where can we find more about your activities Do you keep your website going Do you yeah. prefer social media What's your thing
1: uh, A bit of both really A bit of both um, The usual Facebook, Twitter um, uh, Website www.sumackenzie.com That's, that's, that's a what thing. it says on the tin <laughs>
0: I'll yeah. uh, put all these links in the show yeah. notes so people can yeah, yeah. find you. And yeah. um, is your album available uh, via there as well? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's called After the Trist or the Trist, depending on where you're from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'll get it from all the usual places iTunes, the Delphian Records website, my website, all the usual places.
0: So, finally, you're making a really significant contribution, not just to music in Scotland, but you've really impacted all of the people who've come to Scotland as well through your efforts in organising things. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what do you see for yourself over the next 10 to 20 years?
1: Wow, I don't think of it in that way at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I just did my thing. Okay. Uh, I guess what we've spoken about, being less busy, but it being more worthwhile and it, and, and it having more value. And trying to get back to those uh, student days of of just more time. Yeah.
0: Sue, thank you very much for your time today. Thank thank you. This has
1: been really great. Thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. And let's go and hear some music. Yay! (laughs) Just before you go, a quick reminder to let you know that show notes, any links and a full text transcript are also available. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave a review for the show by visiting barrysax.com forward slash iTunes. You can subscribe for a new episode each week. And thanks again for joining me and my guests on Barry Sachs' show.